It is hard to think of a generation in history that has suffered less than mine. Those were the opening words of a chapter I read during the week. They were written by a fellow millennial, uh, someone just a few years older than me. Uh, a, a millennial, uh, if you're wondering, someone born after 1980. And he was writing a, in a book describing what it's been like to begin raising two autistic children. Uh, and in fact, no matter what age we are, uh, most of us can think back to either our, our, our grandparents, if not our parents, and say they had it a lot tougher than us. I came across another book during the week. It consisted of letters written between two ministers, one in England, one in Scotland, in the early 1800s. And both of them had lost multiple children. And part of, uh, of what, what they're writing is to say, well, how, how did you cope with that? Uh, and so it's heartbreaking uh, to think about what they went through. But it also wasn't all that unusual for the time. Uh, and yet to return to, to the first book, book I quoted from, uh, even though the author says that millennials have suffered less than previous generations, he says that we struggle with the problem of suffering more. Uh, we, we suffer less, but we struggle more with the whole concept that we even do suffer. Uh, struggle with it, he says, philosophically, emotionally, theologically. Uh, and we do so more than, say, a woman of previous generations who lost multiple children in childbirth, lost a husband in war, and then died in her mid-30s. He says it's like the less we have suffered, the less equipped we are to deal with it. And so biblical teaching on suffering is something that we need more today, not less so that's one reason to address the topic of suffering as a general rule, not in every case, but as a general rule, we all face less suffering in our lives than previous generations. And that actually means that we are less well equipped to deal with it than they were. And it, it would probably mean that we see fewer positive examples of those who deal with suffering well. I also hope that what we look at this morning will build on what we looked at last week. Uh, one of the things we saw last week from Jeremiah 29 was that God has a good plan for our lives, but that doesn't mean we won't suffer. God has a good plan for our lives, but that doesn't mean we won't suffer. And in fact, sometimes suffering will be what God uses to accomplish his purposes in our lives. And so if suffering is part of God's plan for us, then it's not simply enough to, to know that. We also need to be prepared to cope with suffering when it comes. So that's part of the purpose of today's sermon. Last week's sermon, uh, one of the big themes was that God's good plan for you in 2024 may involve suffering. In fact, it will include some level of suffering. Today's sermon is about how we should react when suffering comes. 
But I also want to preach on this topic today because I know that for some of you, suffering is a very present reality right now. And so a sermon on on suffering is very relevant. Maybe if you're a newer Christian, you've never fully thought through how you should react differently to suffering now you're a Christian. Or if you've been a Christian for a while, uh, none of what I say today may be new to you, but they are things that we all need reminded of. But whatever our situation, the big question isn't whether suffering will come. The big question is how we'll respond when it does come. And that's what we're going to think about this morning. But but before we get into our first point, maybe at this point someone is wondering, is the fact that there's suffering in the world not a bit of an elephant in the room? In other words, is suffering not one of the biggest arguments against the existence of God? In other words, if God is powerful, like the Bible says he is, surely he could stop us suffering. And if God is good, like the Bible says he is, surely he he would stop us suffering. A a God who was powerful but not good might might let us suffer. Uh, And a God who was good but not powerful might be unable to stop us suffering. But if God is both good and powerful, why is there suffering in the world? So the problem of evil, the problem of suffering, it is a genuine problem for people and we need to be able to respond to it. But the problem of evil is also a problem for the person who doesn't believe in God. In fact, I would argue that the problem of pain is a bigger problem for the person who doesn't believe in God than it is for the person who does. If someone isn't a Christian, they can't explain where suffering came from why it feels so wrong or, or how it can ultimately be overcome. In fact, they don't have any hope that it, that it will ultimately be overcome. But the Christian can explain those three things. Where did suffering come from? It came as a result of sin entering the world. Why does suffering feel so wrong? Because it wasn't part of God's original creation. And how can it ultimately be overcome? Through the work of Jesus Christ, who is making all things new. And through uh, faith in him by which we can be part of that. For the unbeliever, suffering can only ever be pointless. It is random and has no purpose. And in a world of random chance, you can't argue that people shouldn't suffer Because who's to say what should or shouldn't happen? There is no one in charge, just a vast, empty, purposeless universe. Christianity, however, tells us that the throne of the universe isn't empty, that suffering isn't random, and that for those who will put their trust in Jesus, it's not how the story ends. So with all that by way of introduction, we want to consider three things about suffering in the rest of our time this morning, uh, each of which will get shorter as we go on. And firstly, we want to see what our suffering does for us. 
Uh, we want to think in turn what our suffering does for us, what our suffering does for others, and what our suffering does for God. But, but firstly, what our suffering does for us. Apart from a few advancements in safety and precision, the process of refining gold hasn't changed much since biblical times. A craftsman sits beside a hot fire with molten gold in a crucible. The flames reach temperatures in excess of a thousand degrees. The fire brings the impurities and dross to the surface, showing what is real gold and what isn't. But imagine someone coming into a room where someone was refining gold and saying, Stop! You're destroying the gold! On the surface it might look like they're right. It seems counterintuitive to burn one of the most precious substances on earth. But even though it looks destructive, it's actually a good thing. It's getting rid of the dross and leaving only the pure gold behind. And in the same way, when suffering hits our lives or the lives of our loved ones, we want to say, stop God. We think he's bringing something destructive into our lives. But in 1 Peter 1.7 he says that our faith is like gold. In fact it's more precious than gold. And rather than harming our faith, suffering is one way in which God refines that precious faith. Did you notice what Peter says in verse 6? In this you rejoice, though now, for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. Something comes into our lives and we say to ourselves, I don't need this. And maybe we've even said to others, well that's the last thing that you need right now. Well what does God say? God says that suffering only comes into our lives if it's necessary. We say we don't need it. God says, yes, yes you do. He brings suffering into our lives because it is necessary. And uh, suffering does two things to our faith. It demonstrates that it's real and it strengthens it. The first thing it does, it demonstrates that it's real. It's easy to be a fair weather friend. Have you ever had a fair weather friend? Someone who has been a friend to you in the good times, but in the bad times they've ditched you. It's also easy to be a fair weather Christian. Uh, To follow Jesus when it's easy to do so, when it doesn't put you under much pressure in your family or in your work. When you don't have to stand out from society too much, when, when Christianity's morals and society's morals pretty much line up, when finances are, are okay and your health is good. But what about when those things aren't the case? What about the times when the heat comes, when painful things happen in your life, when you lose a loved one perhaps? When it doesn't seem that God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. Well, God isn't absent when trials come. 
In fact, he is the one controlling the flames, carefully allowing trials to come into your life which will burn away the impurities so that your faith will shine out all the more. But if your faith just melts away when trials come, if, if you turn to other things rather than Jesus, it will show that that faith was not real to begin with. Maybe you looked like the real thing because of your upbringing or good life or, or a dramatic conversion experience, but underneath there was nothing really there. Now Peter doesn't pretend that trials won't grieve us. Uh, verse 6, in this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. Uh, trials and suffering are not pleasant, but if you're facing the heat because of your faith, then your loving Heavenly Father has deemed it necessary. If you're suffering as a Christian, don't say, I'm a Christian, this shouldn't be happening to me. Your suffering is not a mistake. Your suffering is not a mistake. And that suffering is intended not simply to prove the, the genuineness of your faith, but also to strengthen your faith. In fact, someone has said that suffering is, is uh, one of the main ways in which God does deep soul work within us. Uh, suffering is one of the, the main tools in God's toolkit if we can put it like that. We thought last week about God taking people into exile, taking them away from all the things they relied on, uh, the land, the temple, their king, their army. And yet God tells them that it would be for their good. Why? Because it would make them rely on him more. And it's the same for us. Uh, we may have things that we think we can't do without things we rely on but sometimes those are the very things that God will take away so that we rely on him instead one of the the toughest bible verses to to comprehend is where we're told that Jesus learned obedience through what he suffered not that Jesus had ever disobeyed but as he suffered, he experienced what he had not experienced before. And if it is true that there is a sense in which Jesus, the sinless Jesus, had to learn obedience through what he suffered, how much more is that true for us who by nature disobey? And so as someone has put it, he takes us to places we would never have gone and circumstances we would never have chosen and in these places and at these times, we learn things we could never otherwise have known. Places we would never have gone, circumstances we would never have chosen, so that he might teach us things we could never otherwise have learned. And so if you find yourself in 2024 in circumstances you never would have chosen, Remember that even if you wouldn't have chosen those circumstances, God has chosen them. And remember as well that suffering doesn't mean that you haven't sinned and success doesn't mean you 
success doesn't or suffering doesn't mean you have sinned and success doesn't mean you haven't suffering doesn't mean you have sinned and success doesn't mean you haven't the example of jesus on the cross proves that jesus on the cross proves that it's possible to be exactly where god has placed you doing exactly what god wants you to do and yet be in agony it's easy for us to say, and maybe we've even said it ourselves, if God really wanted me to be in this place that I find myself in, everything would be going well. But because everything's not going well, because everything is going wrong, because everything's turning to dust, God is obviously telling me that I need to go someplace else. We can easily think that, but that is just not how it works. It wasn't true for Jesus. He was suffering even though he was exactly where God wanted him to be, doing exactly what God wanted him to do. And it will be no different for us because Jesus is our pattern. Jesus, Peter said, suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. The pattern of our lives as Christians follows the pattern of Christ. And that pattern is one of suffering and then glory. First suffering, then glory. And as we suffer, we are to go through that suffering the way Jesus went through his. Just as we who are parents of small children or if, you, if you've had small children you might print out a page of letters for them to trace over uh, just a whole a page of, of the same letter and they trace over and trace over and trace over and that's how they learn we give them a pattern that they trace over and so jesus has given us a pattern uh, that by the spirit's help we are to trace over with our lives his suffering is a pattern for our suffering. Someone has said uh, that the Son of God suffered unto death, not that we might not suffer in this life, but that our suffering might be like his. The Son of God suffered unto death, not that we might not suffer, but that our suffering might be like his. And just before we leave this first point, don't forget what your suffering is achieving if you're a believer. As Paul tells the Corinthians, it is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. It doesn't look like our suffering is achieving an eternal weight of glory. It doesn't look like it's achieving anything. All it looks like it's doing is stopping us living the life we want to live. But actually... If we respond to it rightly, it is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory. And so as Sinclair Ferguson has put it, in God's workshop in the world, suffering is the raw material out of which glory is forged. Suffering is the raw material out of which glory is forged. So firstly this morning, what suffering does for us. It proves our faith is real. It teaches us things we would never otherwise learn. And it prepares for us an eternal weight of glory. 
we'll look at the, the other two points a bit more briefly. And secondly, we see what suffering does for others. So firstly, what suffering does for us. Secondly, what suffering does for others. Boys and girls, have you heard of alchemy? Alchemy is something that people have tried to do for thousands of years. They've tried to get metal or or, or something that's not that valuable and then turn it into gold. It's when they try to take something worthless and unwanted and make it into something precious. Well, what God does with the pain and suffering in our lives is greater than any alchemist could dream of. Uh, The dream of the alchemist is that he'll put metal uh, into the furnace and out will come gold. Well, what does God do in our lives? Well, he pours into our lives the dirt and dross of pain and he brings out the precious gold of comfort and hope. Paul tells us that in, in some of those opening words of 2 Corinthians that we read earlier. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. Did you notice the four-step pattern that Paul identifies? We suffer We receive comfort from God, presumably, uh, some of that which comes via other people. Then we see others suffering, and then we in turn bring them comfort. So a big part of why we suffer is so that we in turn might be able to comfort others who will, at a later point, go through what we have just gone through. Now, it's not true to say that we can only comfort someone if we've been through what they're facing. But but as someone has said, there is an undeniable depth and power of sympathy which comes from the shared experience of suffering. When someone goes through something that we have already been through, our hearts naturally go out to them because we know what they're going through. And from their perspective, the more likely they are to look to us for help because they know that we have been where they are now. And so one of the things that suffering does for us is that it enables us to comfort others in the future. But again, it's not automatic. If we respond wrongly to to suffering when it comes to us, uh, we'll not be much of of an example uh, for others to look to. And so again, the big question is not, will suffering come, but how will we, we respond to suffering? Will we respond rightly? Will we submit to God's rod? Someone once said that old tears can become stagnant and bitter. In other words, when we suffer and shed tears, but, but all it leads to is bitterness. But that's not the only option Because old tears can also become a well of compassion from which we can draw from in order to help others. Paul says a few verses later in 2 Corinthians, If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort. 
there will be times in life when others strengthen us and the only reason they are able to do it is because of the weakness and suffering that they endured years ago and the comfort which God poured into their lives then. And on the other hand, God will use what we are suffering now to encourage and strengthen others in the future in ways we may not be able to imagine right now. We just see the the immediate suffering, the immediate obstacle, the immediate unwanted thing that has come into our lives. But God sees what he may take and do with that in 5, 10 20, 30 years time. So what will you do with your pain? Will it putrefy and become a festering bitterness that poisons your life and the lives of others? Or will it become a deep well of compassion and comfort? A well of pure, clear water that thirsty souls will be able to draw from in years to come. Perhaps you've known people who've reacted well to suffering as well as those who've reacted badly. Uh, Maybe you've known someone who's had a hard life and it has led to bitterness, regret and resentment. Uh, And as much as you might sympathise with them, you, you can't draw much comfort from that. But maybe you've also known someone who has been through so much And yet somehow all the pain has been formed into beauty rather than bitterness. That was certainly the case with my best friend's mum. Some of you knew her. She was here at my ordination in this building in her wheelchair. uh, The wheelchair she was confined to for most of her adult life. Uh, It was a result of the MS she was diagnosed with when she was quite young. Uh, On top of being confined confined to the wheelchair, she could really only use one arm. But all the times that I was in her house, I never saw a hint of bitterness. Just a a joy in her saviour which radiated out until she passed into glory. When the, the, the big, relatively big church she was in, when they asked for volunteers, for people who would go and be, be part of a new church plant, uh, she and her family, they were, they were uh, among the first to sign up for that. Uh, so much suffering, so much that others may have been bitter about, uh, but no hint of bitterness. Maybe you haven't had the opportunity to see an example like that. But you could be that example for someone else. If we react wrongly, the the pressure of of affliction will be like one of of those things that crushes cars in a scrapyard. It, It won't leave much behind. But if by God's grace we respond humbly... Our suffering will instead be like a pressure washer which cuts away the dirt and the dross and leaves something beautiful in its place. Someone has said it is a truly precious and beautiful thing when God puts in pain and brings out comfort, when he pours in grief and brings out grace. 
And yet so often we as Christians are little different from unbelievers when it comes to pain and suffering. If we are suffering or someone else is suffering, well, unlike the unbeliever, unlike many unbelievers, at least we, we pray about it. But, but what do we pray concerning it? Well, so often we only pray that the suffering would be removed. Just like the unbeliever, when we suffer, our biggest desire is that the suffering would stop. But how often do we pray, Lord, would you work grace in me in the midst of this grief? Lord, would you comfort me in the midst of this so that I can comfort others in time to come? We want to change our circumstances, but God wants to use our circumstances to change us. We want to change our circumstances. God wants to use our circumstances to change us. So what are suffering does for us? What are suffering does for others? Thirdly, finally, briefly, what are suffering does for God? What does our suffering do for God? Or to put it another way, what is the ultimate reason uh, for which God brings suffering into our lives? It's the same reason God does anything, for his own glory. Do you remember the the question the disciples asked Jesus about the man born blind? Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And how did Jesus reply? It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. In other words, he was born blind in order that God might be glorified when Jesus healed him. But God isn't just glorified in our healing. He's also glorified in our patient endurance when that healing doesn't come. What was, what was Satan so confident about when it came to Job? Does Job fear God for no reason, he asked? He said to God, have you, put a he- have you not put a hedge around him and his house and all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands and his possessions have increased. But stretch out your hand and touch all that he has and he will curse you to your face. Satan is saying to God, Job only worships you because of, of all that you have given him. Take that away and he'll curse you. But Job proved Satan wrong. Job didn't respond perfectly to suffering, but he endured. He kept the faith. And in that, God was glorified. To go back to 1 Peter, what would the suffering of the believers there result in? Praise and glory and honour at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Praise not for them, but for Jesus. So can't God use suffering to achieve good things? From the way we often react to suffering, those around us might think the answer is no. But surely the follower of Jesus who has stood at Calvary knows the answer. All things, even our suffering, works together for good for those who love God and have been called according to his purpose. But just as I close this morning, I need to be very clear about one thing. Our suffering does many good things for us, but it can't save us. 
Only Jesus suffering in our place can. Our suffering by God's grace will lead to much benefit for others, but it can't save them. Only Jesus suffering in their place can. And what our suffering does for God, it it glorifies God, but it cannot act as payment to him for our sins. Only Jesus suffering can. If we want our suffering in this world to count for anything, to achieve any good, the first thing we must do is put our trust in him. And then, and only then, uh, can we see what he will use the suffering in our lives for, uh, for uh, the strengthening of our faith, for the good of other believers, and for his glory. Amen. Well, we sing as we close from Psalm 73c, another well-known psalm, Psalm 73, uh, the C version, uh, page 161, begins, Yet evermore I am with thee, thou holdest me by my right hand. God with us in the midst of suffering. Uh, Verse 2 begins with the question, Whom am I in heaven but thee? None else on earth I long to know. And sometimes we, uh, we can only uh, know the, the true reality of those words when, when those on earth who, who we did uh, long to know have let us down, when those on earth have disappointed us, and yet we can sing through the tears uh, that God is our ultimate good. So Psalm 73, C, page 161, will stand to sing praise. <laughs>